All right, take your Bibles this morning, turn to Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter number one. We're just going to read a few verses to get into this passage, a very familiar story, Jonah chapter number one. And as you're turning there, let me just tell you what a great privilege it is uh, to be able to serve here at West Coast Baptist College and be able to get to know you. And uh, many of you are in my classes. It's just a privilege to be able to teach and be able to serve. And uh, alongside of uh, the great faculty here and our leadership team. And so I'm excited about what God has as for us in the future of West Coast Baptist College, and uh, you guys are West Coast. You guys bring the spirit, and you guys bring the energy, and so thank you for that, and uh, keep it up. I know we're kind of getting through almost halfway of the semester. Keep it up. Keep up the spirit and the energy, and uh, I know the Lord will bless that. Jonah chapter 1, we'll just read the first few verses here and get into the passage this morning. Verse number 1, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let us pray this morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be in chapel this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a great way. I pray that you would please challenge us. I pray that we would not have any Jonas here in our college. And I think about our futures and all the potential that's represented in this room. Lord, I pray that you would please help us to fulfill the calling that you have put on our lives. And I pray that you would help us this morning to be encouraged and to be challenged in that way. And we promise to give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Surrendering to God gets harder and harder the older that you get. You see, in this passage, Jonah was already a respected prophet. Jonah had already been used of God in an amazing way. We read in 2 Kings chapter number 14, verse 25, that Jeroboam II restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hermoth into the Sea of the Plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gathhepher. You see, as we come to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1, Jonah has already surrendered to God's calling for his life. Jonah is already serving God as a prophet, and he's doing very well at it. He has become a very respected prophet in Israel. Jonah had prophesied that the borders of Israel would be expanded, and that's exactly what happened. But we know the story of the next prophecy, the next command that would come to Jonah. It would not be as easy to fulfill. You see, God has commanded all of us to surrender to him. Romans 12, 1. Many of you have memorized it. I'm going to ask if, if you have memorized this to, uh, to help me with it this morning as I stop. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that ye... Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We know the verse. We've heard it over and over again. We know that God has commanded us to surrender to him and to find his acceptable and perfect will. 
So the question is this morning, why do we struggle with that? Why do many times we follow in the footsteps of Jonah and we struggle with surrendering to God? I think personally in my own life, the, the first surrender was, was actually pretty easy. I remember when I was, uh, I was in uh, junior high school and I remember the service of a missions conference and I remember God tugging on my heart and, and I remember going forward and surrendering to the call of ministry in that service. And honestly, as I look back on that, personally, that wasn't a, a difficult decision. Um, there was a lot of anticipation. There was a lot of suspense. This was invigorating. This was suspenseful. I, it was exciting. I, I had all of my life ahead of me. And, and I remember that moment of surrender. And maybe it was the same for you as uh, before you came to college, surrendering to the call of ministry. Maybe you've stood on a platform. Maybe you came forward at a camp or whatever the case was. It, it was exciting and it was important and yet many times as we find in the life of Jonah, the first surrender is, is easy. The first surrender is exciting. But God commands us to be a living sacrifice. I remember Dr. Getch many times when I was in college saying the problem with a living sacrifice is that we always crawl off the altar. You see, that first surrender, that first uh, exciting time of maybe signing a decision card or putting a date in your Bible, God has called me to ministry. Man, that's a great time, but that's not where it stops. That's just the beginning. And oftentimes as we get older, it is more difficult to surrender. You see, the difficulty in life has been surrendering later in life. After being called, after the camp, after the youth conference, after spiritual leadership conference, after Bible college, after marriage, being in full-time ministry, many times God expects us to be surrendered and yet we still have the same difficulty as Jonah. I read a quote that was written back in the 300s. I mean, we're talking way back in the day of church history. This guy named Gregory of Nazianzus. Uh, not really a household name uh, uh, around here, but I, I saw his quote here and I felt like, wow, almost 2,000 years ago, we still have the same struggle. Uh, look, look at what he says here. On this account, I had much toilsome consideration to discover my duty or my calling. Being set in the middle between two fears, of which the one held me back and the other urged me on. For a, for a long time while I was at a loss between them, after wavering from side to side and like a current driven by inconstant winds, and inclining first in this direction, then in that, I at last yielded to the stronger, the fear of disobedience overcame me. And I'm afraid that many of us in this room this morning are struggling with the same thing that Gregory did. In between two fears. On one fear is the fear of surrender and doing what God asks us to do. And on the other side is the fear of not surrendering and doing what God has asked us to do. And that's where Jonah is. And unfortunately, we read in just the third verse of this book 
that Jonah makes the wrong decision. So very quickly this morning, let's look at four reasons that we run away from God. Four reasons that we run away from God. The first reason I see here is in Verse number one, now the word of the Lord came into Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Many times the the first reason that we do not surrender to God is because of our safety. Because of our safety. You see, Jonah was called to preach to the people of Nineveh. And we know the background. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. We have a map here of what the Assyrian Empire represented at that time. Nineveh was the capital of this city. Here's an artist's rendering of what Nineveh would have looked like back then at the days of Jonah. The city walls were 7.75 miles long. The entire city was able to hold 120,000 people with suburbs surrounding it. And Wilmington says that Nineveh had been a center of power for more than 300 years at this point. And I know that whenever God came to Jonah, that Jonah would have been full of fear in his heart at what God was asking him to do. We, We know that the Assyrians were brutal and violent. Let me read a few quotes of their kings that probably Jonah would have heard through the grapevine. Asher Nazarpal II He said, I stormed the mountain peaks and took them. In the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool. The heads of their warriors I cut off and I formed them into a pillar over against their city. Their young men and their maidens I burned in the fire. He later goes on to describe, I flayed him. His skin I spread upon the wall of the city. Not exactly the guy that you want to invite to dinner. Not not exactly the guy that you really want to hang out with. Uh, Here's another quote by Shalmaneser II. A pyramid of heads I reared in front of his city. Their youths and their maidens I burnt up in the flames. Sennacherib, I cut their throats like lambs. I cut off their precious lives as one cuts a string. Like the many waters of a storm, I made the contents of their gullets and entrails run down upon the wide earth. Their hands I cut off. Asher Banapal, I pierced his chin with my keen hand dagger. Through his jaw, I passed a rope, put a dog chain about him, and made him occupy a kennel. You see, the Assyrians were brutal and violent. Jonah would have certainly been concerned about his own safety as God had called him to Nineveh. The Assyrians were the arch enemies of the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel had already begun paying tribute to Assyria by this time, 841 BC. And eventually Assyria would be the ones to conquer the northern tribes of Israel. But the irony of this story is that Jonah was so concerned about his own personal safety that he runs away from God. And then in verse number four, look where he ends up. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. A terrible storm hits the boat and he's going to come close to losing his life at this moment. You see, Jonah concerned about his own personal safety is now in the middle of a storm that where he is going to lose his life. And I think we can see the irony there. You know, I've often heard the phrase, the safest place to be 
is in the will of God. And I'm afraid that this morning I have to disagree with that statement. The safest place to be is the will of God. God does not promise physical safety to us in his will. Sometimes we're asked to sacrifice a little more. I think about a conversation I had with Brother Rupert who uh, picked up a pastor from Pakistan for leadership conference. And as they were coming from LAX, Brother Rupert told me that this pastor was talking to him about his testimony. And this is what the pastor said. I'm thankful that I've only been kidnapped and beaten twice in my ministry for my faith. And I'm thankful to God that, ev- that both times they let me go. What a testimony. We have no idea here in America about the persecution and the trials that come to those who call themselves Christians in other parts of the world. I think about last year, a missionary in Iraq, Stephen Troll, who we prayed for as a student body, was shot in Iraq, leaving his wife and his four children. We have a news story from the Washington Post that talks about this. They conveniently left out that he was a missionary, but uh, still making national headlines that this missionary was martyred for the faith. I think if we had the Apostle Paul sitting up here and we asked Apostle Paul, would would you elaborate on the phrase, the safest place to be is in the will of God? I think he would say 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A, A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now you might be thinking, wow, uh, Brother Bert, you're not making this whole surrender thing very appealing. You're saying that if I surrender to God, that there might be some trials and some persecution and some danger. I might have to sacrifice my safety. I thought that you were supposed to say that if you surrender to God, that God would protect me and that God would give me lots of money. No, no, that, it's about time that we as preachers are honest with the next generation about what the future holds and not sugarcoat the truth. We have a generation of weaklings in ministry who have dropped out of ministry at the first ill word, at the first trial, at the first difficulty. I'm done. I thought the safest place to be was in the will of God. No, 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 no. That statement puts the emphasis on the wrong place. It's not about safety, ladies and gentlemen. It's not about our own personal welfare. It's about surrendering to God. And I'm here to tell you there is a joy that comes in suffering for God that only God can give. It's supernatural. The world doesn't understand it. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. He he says it's going to try us. It's coming. As though some strange thing happened unto you. It's It's not something that is strange or unusual or peculiar. 
but rejoice, verse 13, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. The truth is that the happiest Christians that I have ever met in my life have suffered for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They serve in Africa. They serve in Lebanon. They serve in China. They serve in Syria. And they are able to experience a, a supernatural joy that very few of us can understand even here at West Coast. Amen. The focus is not on safety. The focus is not about our own personal welfare. The focus is on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, the reason that we run away, safety. Look at the second reason, however. It's kind of hidden in verse number three. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof. Sustenance. Now, I, I, I don't really believe that, that this was a financial decision for Jonah, but I do believe that there is a contrast here. That when Jonah is running from God, it costs him something. And a lot of times we are afraid to surrender to God because of the finances, because of the financial cost of what might be involved. But see, in contrast, when you run from God, you will pay the fare thereof. It will cost you. So many times we think that living for the wealth of this world is the answer for all of our financial struggles and concerns. But there is a cost for running from God. Turn over to chapter number two very quickly. Jonah's in the belly of the whale at this time and he makes a profound statement. I want you to see it here in chapter number two, verse number eight. He's praying to God. He's repenting of his sin Look what he says in verse number eight. What a thought-provoking statement. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Can we say that together? They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. You see, college student, high school student, lying vanities surround us every day. And so often they plunge their hooks into our future. Before Alyssa and I got married, we would sit outside of the Revels building and, and uh, you know, make sure there was a Bible in between us and everything. But we would sit outside the Revels building and, and talk and dream about the future. And, and I remember uh, Alyssa many times saying something like, uh, you know, I just want to be able to have stories like my parents have. Her parents pastored at a little church in Tennessee right after Bible college, and, and uh, her parents uh, came to a church, and I believe they got $8 a week, if I, or $40 a week, so, so not much at that time, and uh, $40 a week does not go very far when you have kids. And so she would tell me all the time these stories about uh, my father-in-law and about uh, they, would, they would not have groceries, their, their cabinets would be empty and, and they would go out for a short drive and pray and they would come back and there would be, there would be groceries on their front step. And, and she would tell me these types of stories all the time and she would say, Nathan, wouldn't it just be amazing if we had stories like that someday? Now, 
you probably know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you know, those are really cool stories, but I really never want to reach the moment where there are no groceries in the house, all right? I, I really, you know, I, I'm thankful for those stories, but I'm not really dreaming about the day where, you know, we're not going to have any money at all and we're just going to have to live by whatever happens to us. I, I, I really don't want to reach that point, Alyssa. So yeah, yeah, it would be really cool if, if we had some stories like that, but that's not really my goal in life. We got married and we, uh, we had a wedding gift that was given to us. My my great uncle, he, had, he holds a third of the patent of the barcode and uh, worked for IBM for many years and has never given me anything and has never given me anything since. Uh, gave us $10,000 for our first car. We just had no money for a car and, and he just randomly gave this to us. It was just a blessing. And, and that, that was like a day before we got married. And I was thinking, wow, I, th I think God's taking care of us. I think we might have a few stories to tell. I think about throughout our lives, the 10 years of marriage now, I think about a few years ago. Actually, when I was in college, I was a freshman, and I had a meeting with Dr. Getch, and something came up. Dr. Getch said something about, you know, I, you know, I really I have this book idea, and I'd really like to be able to write a book where every, every day of the year you have something that has to do with revival or a story from revival. And, and I was like, that's actually a really cool idea. Hmm. I went traveling that summer with Dr. R and we had a lot of time in the van and I was in the back looking up dates, trying to figure out if we could actually do this and, and put the, all these dates together. I don't think Dr. Getch had a clue that I was working on this, but I was like, that is such a really cool idea. Years and years and years later, all of the research that went into it, driving together actually said they would be interested in it. And uh, we, we, we started working on it together. And, and I remember the day vividly, Dr. Getch, when your laptop crashed and we lost everything. <laughs> so I, I looked at it. I, I found my, my portion of it and the research that I had done. And we just started over again. And, and we, we just worked and tried to get this done. And, and what an amazing blessing it was to be able to, to publish that book. And, and uh, I was absolutely amazed whenever I heard from Shriving Together that Dr. Getch had told them that he wanted me and my family to get all the royalties from that book. And I, I was just so amazed by his generosity there. And, and at the same time, we were struggling to have children. And Alyssa and I were, have been trying for years and years and years to have kids. And, and if you know anything about those types of treatments, insurance doesn't cover any of that kind of stuff. It's more viewed as a luxury by the insurance company. And so we, we just had no money to be able to get treatments. And, and uh, that first check... That first royalty check from that book paid for the treatments for us to be able to get started, and eventually we had Silas. I can praise the Lord for $15,000 for treatments to be able to have our first child just by faith. Checks coming in the mail from people we hadn't even talked to for years, and and, and people who were reaching out and, and royalty checks and, and nothing that we did, but God provided. And I can tell you even this week, Dr. Getch mentioning us being able to purchase a home and all the miracles behind, just amazing stories behind that. 
I'm not up here to brag. I'm just up here to tell you what is your story going to be? You're not going to get a story if you start working a secular job in college and then, you know, you graduate and you just keep working that job and then you just make money and you, and you buy the idea that, oh yeah, I'm just going to be a really good layman that gives to the church and let someone else do it. No, that is not why West Coast Baptist College was started. You're not going to get a story if you take the easy route. You're not going to get a story to be able to encourage someone with if, if you're just trying to, 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 to work every single number and trying to work everything out on your own. No, God will sustain us. God will supply for us. High school students in the back, many times we fall into this temptation of, oh yeah, I know exactly how much student debt I can afford and I know, how, I know what scholarships I can get and, and I know how much money I need to get through college and, and we, we plan everything out and there is little, if any, faith at all in our future. And let me remind you, Romans 14, 23, for whatsoever is not of faith is... Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it is impossible... To please him. Some of you are graduating soon and you're thinking, okay, I, I, I know what kind of job I need. I, I know what insurance I need. I know all of, uh, I, I got to get a housing allowance. I got I to go to my, I got to know the salary. Guys, let me give you a word of advice for interview days coming up. Never ask the pastor the salary that you're going to get. Step out by faith. If God's going to lead you and God's going to guide you, he is going to provide for you. And I can't wait the next few years to hear some of the stories that you have to share from this pulpit of how God has provided in miraculous ways. Student, you might be thinking, I believe God wants me to fill in the blank, whatever God wants you to do. I believe God wants me to do it, but I don't know how to pay for it. That is exactly where God wants you to be. That is exactly where you need to be to be able to see God work in an amazing supernatural way. Test God out. God will provide. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters for either you hate the one and love the other else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Third reason. We see that many times we we think about our sustenance. We think about our safety. Number three gets a little deeper here in verse number 12. The storm hits and look what Jonah says unto the sailors in chapter one, verse number 12. Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you for I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. Can I define this as self-centeredness? Self-centeredness. Jonah makes this amazing statement. And if we're not careful, we know the end of the story. We know that God creates a whale and, and, and he swallows him. He's in there for three days and spits him out. We know what happens, but Jonah doesn't know what's going to happen here. Jonah is committing suicide because he will not obey God. What an amazing statement. Jonah could have been like, God, I'll go to Nineveh. All right, I get the point. I see the storm. We're all going to die. I don't want these people to die. I, I, I'm, I'm going to surrender to you. But what does Jonah do? He says, throw me overboard. Just, I'm done. 
What a self-centeredness. I can't surrender to God because I'm not cut out for it. Well, let me tell you, you're right. You're not cut out for it. But if you think that you are fully capable of living a surrendered life in your own power, you are going to fall flat on your face. Get your eyes off of yourself and look up. Spiritual Leadership Conference was just an amazing time. And I know that the, the, the things I'm going to tell you, you saw, but I want you to remember this. I have some pictures up here from Leadership Conference. Hearing Dr. Don Sisk preach at over 90 years old should have touched everyone in this room. I think about Dr. David Gibbs, who's preached in our chapel this semester and then at Leadership Conference, strong in mind, but physically shaking on the platform because of the health trials that he has had. You saw it. I think about Pastor Doug Fisher sitting in this seat right over here. Pastor Chapel honoring him, standing up. A pastor been faithful in San Diego, seen thousands of souls saved, stands up physically shaking and has to sit back down. I think of the sermon we heard from Dr. R.B. Ouellette. Might have been one of the last sermons that he would ever preach. Standing up and telling us to trust God. And I sat here over here in this section for those services, and I was just so impacted by all, tes- all those four testimonies at that conference because I was preaching a summit at that weekend. And I went to that summit and I challenged those teenagers, who is going to take their place? Were we so self-centered during this conference that we missed the heroes of the faith that stood before us? They're finishing the course. They're crossing the finish line. They've been faithful. Think about all that Dr. Sisk has done for world missions. Think about all that Dr. Gibbs has done for for our country and the legal system and Christian schools and all of it. Think about the pastors who have been faithful traveling and preaching for, for decade after decade after decade. Who is going to take their place? God help us if we can't even get through Bible college because someone said something mean to us or or we're just afraid that we're not going to be able to afford it. God, help us. We need a generation who's going to stand up here and take their place. We need some missionaries to go out and to change the world for Christ. We need some pastors and evangelists who will preach the word with fire and passion. Don't be so self-centered that you miss it. What an amazing hole that is going to be left in our independent Baptist world. Who is going to fill it? You may think, well, that's not me. I'm not the one to do that. Well, good. I'm glad you think so. I'm glad you have a humble spirit. But someone has to do it with the power of God. We don't need any more students who are going to get in secular jobs and, and, and go work a secular field. We're thankful for those who maybe God has led them in that direction. But that is not why we are here. We are here to make a difference in our generation for the cause of Christ. 
Maybe you have already surrendered a camp or a conference. And I'm not asking at the end of the sermon for a big surrender time. You've probably already done that. But you might need to do it again. You might need to surrender again like Jonah needed to. Satan wants us to focus on our own dreams, on our own goals, on our own problems. And we miss the future that God holds for us when we do that. Number four, and we'll be done. The fourth reason very quickly. Turn over to chapter number four, the end of the story. What an amazing revival that God brings to Nineveh. It's just, it's incredible that Jonah just walks through the town and says, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. And, 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 and just this amazing revival happens in this extremely wicked, violent city. It's just incredible to read about. Look what happens in chapter number four. Verse number one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. I think that was the first preacher to ever get angry at, an, at a full altar call. To ever, ever get angry at revival coming from heaven and, and consuming a city. He gets angry at it. Why? Look at verse number two. He prayed unto the Lord. Can you imagine praying something like this? I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country. Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. It all boils down to one thing, sin. Jonah prays, I didn't want to surrender because I knew that things would not go my way. I didn't want to surrender because I knew that you were a gracious God. What sin? Everything that we've just discussed this morning boils down to one thing, sin. James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Jonah lived for the here and now. We don't have time to read through the whole story. Jonah's angry that God didn't destroy the city. He goes outside of the city, sits up a little tent. He's still hoping for a fireworks show. He's still hoping that God would destroy the city even after he uh, saves the people. He sits in the heat. God creates a, a gourd to give him shade. He thanks God for the gourd. And then God creates a worm that eats the gourd and the gourd dies and Jonah curses his life and he wants to die. What is Jonah's problem? He could not see eternity. He was so caught up in the moment. Oh, I got a tent. Oh, I got a gourd. Oh, the gourd's not there. Oh, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And if we're not careful, we're going to live a life just like Jonah, caught up in the here and now, and we're going to miss everything that's going on around us for eternity. So the question is simple this morning. Are you in between two fears? One side, there's the fear of surrender. On the other side, there's a fear of not surrendering. Don't live in that valley. Let me show you one more verse and we'll be done. What does God have to do to get our attention? 
Man, it took a lot to get Jonah's attention. Look at chapter number 2 and verse number 7. Jonah prays this. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Will you remember the Lord? What is keeping you from surrender? Safety? Sustenance? Self-centeredness? Or just plain sin? Will you surrender to him?